Good morning. All right, all right, knock it off. Quit being so nice to everybody. This is church, come on. Not supposed to have so much fun. Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time here, so glad you've joined us for worship. Uh, you came in a great, great Sunday. Um, we're starting a new sermon series called Matters of the Heart. And uh, we've been working our way through the book of Mark. We took a little bit of time off during the summer, did some topical studies. We actually went through um, the doctrine, uh, what we believe as a church, and worked our way through our belief statement. That's, that was a lot of fun. Um, if you're wondering about those things, it's all on our website. If you go to missionviewchurch.org, you can go on there and find the About Us, and then the link underneath there is our beliefs. You can read through those. It's uh, very helpful. Or you can go back and actually watch the sermons that we preached uh, through that whole section of beliefs. So, um, but today, we're back in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do, open up to Mark chapter 7. Take out your iPad or iPhone. Scroll over there or your analog Bible. Your analog Bible. You know, here we are at church on a Sunday morning. We woke up early. We grabbed our cups of coffee or latte or whatever it is, made our way to church. Maybe you, you had an extra cup on your way in. It's early. We're trying to be good people, right? Everybody, everybody wants, we want to be good people. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks to themselves, how, how can I be the worst person I know today? No, that's not what we're going after. We, we want to be good people. Maybe we don't watch rated R movies anymore. Maybe we stopped listening to that music that was questionable, or we stopped drinking too much, or we stopped cussing, or we don't drink, chew, or go with those that do. Have you guys ever heard that? Don't drink, chew, or go with those who do. Only my mom said that, okay. <laughs> so. Then we, then, we, then we add things to our lives, right? We, we put in safeguards in our lives to protect us from messing up. Like we go to church. We wake up early and we go to church on Sundays. We read our Bibles. We, we pray. We sing the songs. We don't cuss or we try not to cuss. We, we don't drink, chew, or go with those who do. Christians over the centuries have done kind of the same thing. They've created practices or traditions that point us to the Lord or remind us of his power, glory, and majesty. These traditions start out as good things meant to do exactly what we were just talking about. They're meant to, to point us to God, to remind us of his goodness, of his mercy, of his grace, of the gospel of, of which we've been saved, that, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. He took our place. He took our punishment. And, and his righteousness was, was put on us when we put our faith in him and trust in him and surrender our lives to him. And we trust in the work that he did and not the work that we're doing. You know, this, this idea of, of pointing back to that and reminding ourselves of that is really, really good. And, and so the church over the centuries came up with liturgies and traditions and different things that were meant to point us back to those things. Today, in, in Mark chapter 7, we're going to see that the religious leaders in Jesus' time had created some traditions. But they went from pointing people to God to focusing on man's performance. It's really what we're going to be talking about today. And if you're taking notes, you can follow along, take notes in the program you received as you came in. You can just write down legalism. We're going to be talking about legalism. And this is one of those times in Jesus' life. It's a, those famous encounters 
that Jesus had with the religious leaders of the time. And this always, always confuses me. Because here we have God in the flesh. Jesus, truly God and truly man in the flesh. And, and these religious leaders who, who were meant to protect and guide God's people to the coming Savior. They were taught the law. They had memorized the law. They, they had this in their lives, and they were teaching and training God's people to look for this Messiah. And the Messiah shows up, and these religious leaders just condemn him. And we have over and over again these interactions that Jesus has with these Pharisees, and a lot of these interactions or arguments, I should say, are based on legalism. Legalism. The idea of taking a tradition or a practice and elevating it to a point of righteousness in and of itself apart from the work of God. Now, let me just say right up front that traditions can be good things. And, and, and liturgies can be good things uh, kept in the right positions and in the right place in our, in our churches. And we practice traditions. And believe it or not, here at Mission View Church, we have our own liturgy. You know, we come together, we sing a few songs, we open God's word, and, and we go out and serve our community and share the gospel with, with the people that, we, that God brings into our lives. That's our liturgy. Um, so it's not that we don't practice those things. We talk about Advent at Christmas time and Lent during Easter. It's that, not that we don't, but it's keeping those things in the right place and not becoming legalistic like the Pharisees did. So this is, this is a great little text. Uh, um, as I've really read through it and studied it, this interaction that Jesus has, there is so much more underneath the ideas of legalism and the ideas that, that come out in the argument that Jesus is about to have with the Pharisees. There's so much going on underneath it. One of the cool things that we'll talk about today is how we guard our hearts. Uh, and, and really, the, well, the sermon series that over the next few weeks, Matters of the Heart, we're going to find out that Jesus is after our hearts. He's not after your good works. He's not after, you know, you having the perfect little Facebook family that we put up there or Instagram or any of those things. He's not after. He is after our hearts. It goes far beyond the things that we do, the plans that we have. And God actually sees the motivations behind the things that we do. Powerful, powerful truth. So just I'm really excited to share this with you this morning. Let's pray before we read God's word here in Mark 7. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, that it is the truth. Father, as we read um, from your word this morning, God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. By the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate the truth of this text, that it would come to life in our hearts, in our minds, and that we would walk out of here different than we, than we walked in because we have met with our creator, God. We are dependent on your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do, Father. So we right now surrender to you and say, come and have your way. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, use me for your kingdom. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 7, starting verse 1, says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, 
holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, this is Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You might want to underline that, circle that, or highlight that, however you do that. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition, exclamation point. (laughs) For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles a father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. God's word for us today. The first fill-in you can put in your notes today is this. Scripture always trumps tradition. Scripture always trumps tradition. The Pharisees had created tradition outside of God's law that they mandated on the people. And some of those traditions made it impossible for God's people to obey his law. Many traditions start out good, but eventually end up bad. I, 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 there's a, a great thing I learned. I was served in the United Methodist Church for about eight and a half years. And as I went through their licensing school, I found this thing called Wesley's Quadrilateral. And it's the idea of how we view Scripture and understand Scripture, and it takes tradition, logic, experience, and God's Word. And as I looked at Wesley's Cotterado, I was like, this is really good. It was a really helpful tool. Um, But as they were teaching it to me, um, I assumed that of those four things, there there was the trump card, right? Like there's a major trump card. And I assume scripture was that major trump card because we all have different experiences. We all see different traditions and we all work logic in different ways. So there has to be something that's kind of the, the line that's drawn in the sand. The, the one that, that one trump card that trumps all other trump cards. And for me, that's always been God's word, the Bible, that it is God breathed. We actually talked about that just a few few weeks ago, that God's word is unlike anything else. It's, it's, it's like a living and active in us, that it changes us. There's a supernatural thing about the Bible that makes it different than any other book you will ever read. It, it is something that will change your life by the power of the Spirit that brings it to life to us and changes our hearts. And so as I'm looking at this Wesley's quadrilateral, I, I assume that Scripture is this, this trump piece that, that, that kind of trumps all other things. But as I'm listening to this, this teacher teach, and there's hundreds of us there. Maybe there's probably 2, 000, around 2,000 people in the room. He starts talking about Scripture, and he says, we have to view Scripture uh, with the things that we've learned from, from, from the sciences of our day. And so I like to look at Scripture this way, that there's different buckets that we, we evaluate Scripture with. 
that if, if church tradition has gone against a scripture that you read, you, you kind of take that scripture out and you put it in the sometimes true budget bucket. There's a sometimes true bucket for God's word. That's not what we believe here. Okay, just, just so you know. I, I'm sitting in this audience and, I, and my blood's starting to boil, my heart's starting to race, and I'm scribbling as many notes down in scriptures that kind of combat what I've just heard. And, and he says, this sometimes true bucket. And I'm just in shock. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. <laughs> Where are we going with this? And he goes, and then there's this other bucket. And, and there's these, some of these scriptures are just plain, just plain offensive. I mean, super offensive. They're just, that's just not true. So there's some of God's words you take out and you put in the not true bucket. And I'm just like, heresy. You know, I'm just like freaking out in my mind. You know, I, I'm in the back, I'm sweating. I've got three pages of notes within like three minutes. And then he comes to the last book, and, and, and it's, it's true. These are the scriptures that make you feel good. These are those things that ring true with your heart. If you read it, for God so loved the world. That's true. That's true. Doesn't it just ring true in your heart? It's just so nice and friendly. And I'm like, wait a second. All of God's word is true, and and to be quite honest with you, I, I, as I've done research into John Wesley and his studies, I actually think he really did believe that with Wesley's quadrilateral, and this teacher was not representing what John Wesley actually had written and believed. And I was just shocked at this. But there's, there's large groups of people that actually read God's word that way, that, that they read it as, oh, this is true, this is not true, because of whatever it may be. That's not how we view God's word. God's word is true. And certain traditions, certain things can lead us down the wrong path. We have to be careful not to inform Scripture of our beliefs based on my experiences, my traditions, and my limited logic and we need to let Scripture inform our traditions, experiences, and logic. Because there are certain things, think about this. Uh, think about this for just a minute. There are some things in Scripture that are completely illogical, that make no sense whatsoever. Think about the core belief of Christianity. The number one belief of Christianity is that Jesus, one, was God in the flesh. That is completely illogical. Now, on top of that, put that he never sinned in thought or in deed. Completely illogical. And then, on top of all that, he was hung on a cross, beaten to almost dead. Un, uh, you couldn't even recognize him. He was beaten so bad. Hung on a cross, stabbed in the side to make sure that he breathed his last breath, died on the cross, three days later, rose from the dead, and then was eyewitness account by over 500 people. He met with 500 people, had meals with people, and conversations with people. That is completely illogical and something we have never experienced in our lives. You see, the truth of God's word is supernatural. And the Christian faith that we hold to breaks the laws of physics 
breaks the laws of man's limited understanding, limited experience, limited logic, and limited traditions. We need to know our place. He is creator, we are creation. And there are things we cannot wrap our minds around. And when we come to God's word, we come in humility. We come humbly acknowledging this, this book was written by our creator. And some of it just boggles the mind. And it should. We have to have the right view of God. And that right view of God is that God is huge, massive, big, beyond all comprehension. And that we could study him and look into him and, and get to know him for all eternity and that never, never, never go through everything there is to know. And let me just tell you, that's really good news because we are going to spend eternity with our God. And for all eternity, we will have the joy of getting to know him more and more and more. The joy that he has for us, the fulfillment and satisfaction of, of relationship with our creator and, and just him revealing to us more and more of everything that he has for us. What a joy that will be. Heaven's not going to be boring. It's not some little cherubim with his wings and his little harp. Doop, 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 doop. That is not heaven. Heaven is going to be awesome. Paradise, streets of gold, lakes like crystal. And the, the Bible uses words to describe heaven because I, I, I think there's things that we just can't comprehend right now that we will see in heaven, colors we've never seen before. It's, it's going to be amazing. It is truly paradise. But we have to let Scripture inform us. We can't bring things to Scripture and try and, and, and make Scripture work around our experiences, logic, and traditions. We have to hold Scripture high. And that is, that is the truth. That is the driving force. So how do we, how do we gauge whether these traditions, these practices that we hold to, how do we gauge whether they're helpful or not, or, or when helpful traditions or things like that become unhelpful or idols in our lives? For Really, that's what they become. That's where legalism finds us, is placing these things as idols above and before God's word, like we see the Pharisees have done. Let's look at verse 6 and 7 again. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Did you know you can worship in vain? We can worship God in vain. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, these, these things, these beliefs, we just went through our doctrine here at Mission View Church, the things we hold as truth, the things we believe, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The second fill-in in your notes today is this. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. It's not just what you do, but why you do it. God sees the motivations behind every action that we take. Why do we do what we do? 
You see, the Pharisees honored God with their words, but their hearts were as hard as stone. They were full of pride and sin. Wicked. They were wicked people. Jesus sees right through our hypocrisy. He sees our hearts. There's a huge statement in that text that will help us avoid this religious and legalistic mindset, but their heart is far from me. Now get this, the key to avoiding this disaster that the Pharisees had walked into, the key to avoiding that disaster is found by keeping our hearts set on God. It is guarding our hearts for and to and about God. Now, what we need to know is when the Bible talks about our hearts, it's talking about the things we hold on tightest to, the things that we most value in our lives, and sometimes the things we hold on to too tightly. We talk about these things like, uh, if you've gone through our membership class, you've heard me, or sometimes here, even on Sunday mornings, we talk about our time, talents, and our treasures, and I heard a pastor say one time, he, he was like, hey, Matt, I, I can tell you, and he was preaching at the time. I'm just personalized. He didn't say my name. But, you know, as, as, as he's listening to this sermon. He says, Matt, I, I can tell you what you value if you just give me your checkbook and your calendar. Oh, millennials, uh, checkbook is a, um, a thing that has paper things in it. You write an amount on it, and it works like cash. It's a check. Uh, it's kind of like Venmo, analog Venmo. <laughs> Anyways, side, sidebar. Anyways, no, this, this, this is um, this time, talent, and treasures. He says, if, if you give me your calendar and your checkbook, I'll, I'll show you what you value. And that is so true. In fact, it's biblical. If you turn in Matthew to chapter 6, in, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now get this. This is so good. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants our hearts, and he won't settle for 80% of our heart. The struggle for us as Christians is that there is a constant battle going on for our hearts. There's so many things, so many people, so many things that, that are after our hearts, that are constantly coming after. There's a plethora of things that try to draw us in, offering pleasure, satisfaction, and fulfillment. This world is full of false gods and idols that relentlessly pursue our focus and our attention, our time, talents, and our treasures, and these idols seek our worship. So we have to ask ourselves this really important question, what has my heart? What has your heart? If God, okay, let's just say it this way. If Jesus were here right now, and he grabbed your iPhone opened up your bank account and your calendar, what would he say you valued most? What's at the top of your value chain? Just so you know, Jesus sees that. He is here. He is always with you. 
and he sees everything and knows all things. Jesus knows what we value. And we have to be honest. I have to be honest. There are times where my checkbook and and my calendar don't line up with God's stuff. There There are things in my life that I have to recognize that are a distraction from the truth of the gospel. We we have to be honest with ourselves. If if God's going to do that work of sanctification in us, we have to be brutally honest. And get this, one of the greatest tools God has given us to fight this battle for our hearts is directing our treasures. Because if where your treasures are, there your heart is also, that's the key. If you want to guide and direct and protect and guard your heart, guard and direct your treasure. Tell your treasure where to go and your heart will follow. That's what God's word says. If your heart is where your treasure is, then we we should tell our treasures where to go. And this is a battle for all of us. Our hearts are constantly finding things other than God to worship. And trusting God with our finances or our treasures is the key to directing our hearts and guarding our hearts for the Lord. Listen to what what Jesus says as he goes on in, in Matthew 6, 19. I'll start in 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now get this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What's he talking about? Well, he tells us right here. You cannot serve God and money. God's pretty smart. And he knows what pulls the strings of our hearts more than any other thing on this planet. It's our treasures. Now that's great news because we can direct our treasures. We can put our treasures, we can store up treasures in heaven, he says. And that will guard our hearts. It's a beautiful thing that God has given us. Jesus says God looks at our hearts or the inside, but man looks at the outside like the Pharisees were doing. Check it out in verse 13 here in Mark 7. Thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So this wasn't a one-off. This idea of legalism, this this adding law on top of law on top of law wasn't, wasn't just a one-time thing. This was something they were constantly doing. And it says, and many such things you do. Number three in your notes is this. The Pharisees tried to make themselves holy by adding to the law. The Pharisees were trying to make themselves holy by adding to the law. The Pharisees added so many laws to what God had given Now get this, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. I think that's a plenty of law. Anybody? Anybody? I mean, I'm working on the Ten Commandments, right? It's just ten. (laughs) 
I'm struggling with the 10. 613. I think that's plenty of law. But the Pharisees added many to them, and some of them made it impossible for God's people to actually do the original law that God had given them. And this was called the Mishnah. They had a whole other book dedicated to it called the Mishnah. All these added laws to what God had given. Jesus confronts this law, this law adding, I should say, and tells them how it has infected the true law and made it impossible for God's people to do what God's law was telling them to do. The question that came to my mind and that I just really, really wanted to work through is why? Why in the world would the Pharisees add to the law when there was already 613? That is a good question that we need to answer, right? 613 is plenty. They didn't need the Mishnah, right? Why? Why would they do this? And here's, I think, the root. Pride. Pride. It is the ultimate human failure and virus that infects us all. Get this. Jesus came and fulfilled the law, and now we live under grace. So I've been talking about the Pharisees and legalism and law. Now let's talk about how this applies to us today under grace. Jesus came, fulfilled the law. Now we live under grace. We have the gospel that is the good news of Jesus where the law condemned, the gospel inspires. The gospel is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we cannot live. He died the sinner's death we deserve. He conquered death and sin for us when he rose from the grave. And now he has ascended and sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for me and you, preparing a place, a paradise for us to live for all eternity. That is the good news. All God requires of us is to trust in Jesus by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and you can be saved. That's it, period, nothing's more. We stop talking right there, period. It is the gospel of Jesus. But we like to add to it. You can be saved, but you really should serve in the food kitchen if you want to be saved. We pull a Pharisee and think we can add to the gospel. We don't serve God to get saved. We serve God because we look at the cross. We look at Christ sacrificed for us, his blood that was shed, his body that was broken, and we receive forgiveness of our sins and the joy of grace, forgiveness, and hope. And we serve God out of a joyful and thankful just gratitude that is in our hearts. God is after our hearts. He's reaching deep into who you are and changing your motivations. Every time you look at the cross and you see Christ crucified for your sins, his blood shed for you, like Jordan said earlier this morning, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus saw every sin you would ever commit from birth until death and life with him. He knew every sin you would commit. And he still, he still allowed his creation to murder him for 
you. When we come to that realization over and over again, this Christian life is a fresh revelation every day, every morning of the grace and mercies of God in Jesus Christ for me and you. When we come to that realization, that fresh revelation, God does his great work of sanctification and change in our lives. And we think we could add to that. We get it backwards so often. And I think it's because we've been brainwashed. We think about how we live out our lives, you know, as you, as you are raised by your parents. It's like, hey, do this, 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 and this, and you'll get this reward. Clean your room, clean the bathroom, and do your laundry, and you'll get this allowance. You go to school, you do your homework, you show up on time, you turn in your papers, you'll get the A. You go to basketball practice, you practice through the week, you show up early, you leave late, you practice your free throws, you'll make the team. Do this, do this, do this, get this reward. And the gospel is completely opposite. So we grow up under this law-based idea, do, 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 receive, and God says, no, 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 no. Here's the keys to the kingdom. Even now, you're seated at the right hand of God the Father with the Son. You have been sanctified. You have been saved. You have been sanctified. And you are glorified right now. You sit at the right hand of God the Father. It is all yours. You have the keys to the kingdom. Now go and live it out. Right? Go and live it out. Do, do what I've called you to be. Be who I've called you to be. And live it out for your neighbors and your friends. Live it out in front of them and see what I do with that. That's the gospel. We don't add anything to it. That is it. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. You can't earn God's love. You can't earn God's blessing. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's salvation. It is all yours in Christ Jesus now. And when we realize that, when that truth takes root in our hearts, we will serve God. We'll go to the North Canton Cares Pantry with a smile on our face and tell everybody about this Jesus who died for us and changed our life. We'll go and, and, get, and we'll give money to that guy on the side of the road that's moved our heart when God moves our heart with a smile on our face and take him out to dinner. I was uh, living in a parsonage in Greenville, Ohio. And it was connected to the church so we'd have visitors all the time. One late evening, it was about 9 o'clock. I was home alone. I get a, a knock at the front door. I come to the front door, and there's a homeless man standing there. He says, is Pastor Bill there? And that was the, that was the pastor who had used to live in the house, had moved on. I said, no, Pastor Bill's not here, but my name's Matt. What can I do for you? He said, I need a ride. I need a ride to the, the hotel. And this guy hadn't showered. I don't know if he'd ever showered. He reeked of urine, vomit, and whatever else you can think of. He had sores all over his body. He looked like he was on death's door. And I knew the hotel he was talking about. And I said, 
I can give you a ride, but I want to give you more than that. So he gets into my car. And I'm holding off gagging from the stench. And I don't gag, ever. I could hardly, hardly hold it down. And I said, as we're driving to the hotel, I said, Jesus loves you. Did you know that your creator, who formed you in your mother's womb and died for you on the cross, has a destiny for you? He has a purpose for your life. What you've experienced up to this point in your life, this tragedy that has been your life, that's not what God has for you. He has purpose for you. Before time began, God knew your name, and it says in his word that he set aside good things for you to do. That's your creator. That's who loves you. I told him the story of Jesus. With tears coming down his eyes, it was unbelievable. The tears had washed the dirt from his face. He's wiping his face. I always keep a towel in my cars. I give him this towel, and he wipes his face, and it's filthy. I lead him to Jesus and drop him off at the hotel. I don't know where he went from there. That, that is, that is what we're about. We're no different. We, before Christ came into our lives, we were filthy with the stench of our own sin. We were desperate for someone to invade our lives and make a difference in who we are. And God, in his grace and mercy, invaded that mess and that nasty space. And I'll tell you, my car stunk for months. Man, I was washing it and doing everything I could, but it stunk for months. And praise God for it, because I was that homeless man. I was that broken person, filthy and gross, depraved, not knowing right from wrong, thinking I was righteous in my own deeds. And God, in his great mercy, met me in my brokenness, met me in the stench, didn't gag, and he grabbed me, wrapped his arms around me, and made a way for me to be in right relationship with him again. Legalism guts the gospel of that truth. Legalism points to what we can do in and of our own strength and says, look at me, I am amazing. And that's the most disgusting, gross, and wicked thing we can do. The gospel is, look at Jesus and look what he's accomplished. Praise God, all glory and honor and praise goes to the one who has saved our souls. Let's guard our hearts. Let us be a people who guard our hearts and store our treasures in heaven and look to him and share the gospel that has saved us, the Christ that has saved us, the Messiah who has come and will come again. Let our lives pour that out on our neighbors. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, as beautiful as traditions that we have and as beautiful as these things that we practice are, God, help them never to eclipse you and the glories of who you are and the power of what you've done. 
God, I pray that the gospel would be forever on our lips, that we would live our lives in the shadow of the cross, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct us. God, we humbly submit to your authority. And we humbly and joyfully obey your word. And thank you for all that you've done for us. And God, right now, I just pray for those who are here that are hearing this for the first time. God, that it would take root in their hearts, that you would save them, meet them in their brokenness right now in the name of Jesus. That their lives, that their lives would be saved, that you had an eternity set aside for them. God, call them into their destiny for your kingdom and for your glory. And in your son's name we pray, amen.